Hello fellow mutants, and welcome to another episode of Study of X. We are a podcast chronologically going through the Krakoa era of X-Men. Currently we are discussing issue 5 of House of X and issue 5 of Powers of X. Uh, My name is Tim, and joining me as always is Chris and Sergio. Hey, hello. Hey, what's up? So, uh, yeah, we got got an email from... uh, a friend of the show, Minotaur. Uh, he provided a little context for some stuff we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, Cardinal, uh, he said, has some Nightcrawler DNA in him, uh, but also, apparently, the red skin isn't too out of the normal because Nightcrawler's dad also had red skin. Uh, Magneto's Island also has some lore attached to it as well, uh, that was the original base of the Brotherhood of Mutants. It is located in the Bermuda Chi- Triangle, and he raised it up out of the water. It was apparently an ancient city occupied by some, like, Cthulhu people, which is why the octopus throne is there. Oh, that explains the octopus throne. Yeah. That's pretty sick. I like that. I, I agree. So, yeah, thanks for the context there. Yeah, uh, however, we're never talking about um, Nightcrawler's dad. That didn't happen. That I I refuse to believe that storyline. I I don't know that storyline, and um, yeah. It it was basically implied that the way Nightcrawler looks is because his dad is like quote unquote Satan. Yep. Instead nope. of just being his mutant thing, so <laughs> that <laughs> always really sucked. So we don't pay attention to that. Oh, that's interesting. Since Nightcrawler was briefly like characterized by being like uh. A person of faith? Yeah. Yes, that is a big part of his personality. I believe he's Catholic. Huh. That's that's fun. Yeah. So yeah. It's always interesting. Um it's like poetry, it rhymes. Right, exactly. Uh, no. <laughs> um so do we want to uh go into the uh issues here? Yeah, I just want to thank uh Minotaur for reminding me of uh Magneto's Seek uh Octopus Throne. Yes, it's it's very important. We need to know about the Octopus Throne. Um, yes, and what a cool palace! Brings it back. Yeah, that, I'm hoping it brings it back. It's so cool. That should honestly be the aesthetic of Krakowoff. Like, forget the plants. We we just need octopuses everywhere. Uh, but he should have like have it moved. Yeah, just yeah. over to Krakow. Just put it there. Yeah, if you can yeah, raise it. Yeah, just get a crew ocean. over. Uh huh. Yeah. All right then. Um, these two uh, we're covering today are kind of a doozy, so I'm exciting to. Uh, Begin talking about them. Yeah, yes, I'm very uh, excited about these. You, we got a lot going on. You want to start taking us through the, through these, uh, Chris? Sure. Uh, so starting us off, we are going to cover House of X number five, Society. It was written by Jonathan Hickman, released in September of 2019. 
And as we open up, we are back on Krakoa, and we see Magneto and his daughter Lorna talking about the one thing that humanity did that was good, which is society. And they, or not really they, mostly Magneto talks about how good society is and how wonderful it is when people come together and work together. And as he is discussing this, we meet the five Uh, Five different mutants with a variety of powers that, when combined together and with the power of Cerebro from uh, Charles Xavier, they are able to bring mutants back to life. Uh, Backing up a little bit, I want to kind of go into Magneto's thing here. Uh, Magneto specifically talks about the point that he thinks that the humans, like, did something good is when they kind of transformed from a hunting and gathering culture into an agrarian culture. Um, kind, kind of a weird point for someone who really likes to rule over stuff, but yeah, I guess Magneto likes farms. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh... I, I think it was just him trying to be grand and showcase that uh, that the society that they are building is going to be incredible since before this they kind of did all separately do their own thing as mutants they never really worked together so this is the first time that almost everybody it seems is now on the same page yeah their society so far seems to encompass a uh, plant aesthetic and uh, frolicking in the woods and a baby's first uh letter alphabet yeah so I'm really curious about what yes. what he's planning to do next. I, I really appreciate this whole spiel from Magneto, though. Uh, it's just very flowery. It's very, yeah, this is Magneto. Um, Magneto just going to sit here and just give a grand speech about literally everything. And I'm, I'm kind of here for it. Um, who's Lorna again? Uh, Lorna is Magneto's daughter. Yes, she is the one in green right at the start sitting next to Magneto. Um I believe she is, like, actually his biological daughter. Yes, she has uh, similar powers to him. Hmm. We haven't seen her so far, right? This is her first appearance? Right, yes. This is the first time we're seeing her. She is uh, a a pretty early X-Men. I think she joined uh, not too long in the original era. Oh, also worth pointing out, um, this is the same location that we saw back at the very beginning of House of X number one. Yes, we are about to hit that exact scene, apparently. This is a... Yes, uh, something, having gone through this again, is Hickman loves being able to recontextualize earlier scenes that he's written, and he does it really well. Um, As we see the first two pages of this entire run, uh, where it's a giant plant with eggs... People pop out of the eggs and Xavier is there. And now we learn that this is when the mutants who all died in space trying to destroy the mother mold are all brought back to life. I did not see this coming. Um, this this is bonkers. Yeah. Um, l- l- let's go into this because, yeah, this, this, this is wild. Yes, uh, <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite things that Hickman has done with this new iteration of the x-men is doing something like this because it's super wild uh so basically you have five mutants you have uh gold balls you have proteus uh elixir Uh, tempest and hope all working together and they are able to make uh essentially these giant eggs that they speed forward in time to make a shell of a mutant 
and Xavier has copies of the entire being of a mutant, thanks to Cerebro, and he's able to put all of that back into the husk, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah. so the, the process kind of goes gold ball, um, so his power set, before this, uh, this is kind of a joke character almost, uh, he could make gold balls, and uh, then they figured out these aren't balls, they're eggs. So he makes big eggs, uh, Proteus makes them viable, uh, they inject some mutant DNA in them, uh, Alexer gives it life, uh, Tempest speeds things up, and then uh, they all are unified by hope until they're able to just uh, bring a mutant back to life. Yeah, I think it's really funny how hyper-specific this combination of power works. Um, I I really wonder who came up with like the... Uh, oh, hey, if we mix uh, these five powers together in this exact way, uh, we get a cloning technique? Yeah, I would yes. love to know how that conversation went where everybody was sitting at a table and Hickman goes, all right, so Gold Balls is going to become one of the most important mutants to ever exist. Now let's go with it. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely interesting here. Um, the... Combination of characters is kind of cool, too. I don't really know much about Alexa and Tempest. Uh, Hope Summers is, I think, a time-displaced daughter of Scott and Jean. Um, I'm not sure on that one, though. I don't really know much about her as a character, other than she was a pretty major part of uh, Avengers vs. X-Men. Uh, Proteus is uh, Moira's son and is typically a villain. Hmm. Uh, so that that's, a, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do really like like the concept of a group of mutants that are kind of useless apart. It's not really the case here. I bet some of these are like competent on their own. Um, but having like this hyper-specific, very powerful and impactful in terms of what uh, Krakoa is all about. Um, ability that only works if they're together, if they work together. Yeah. It's cool. And, and it, it reminds me, um, I feel like they kind of set up and I'm wondering if this is going to become just kind of more of a, the the kind of mutant circuit thing is going to become a big part of this kind of era. Because they kind of set that up in the last issues we were reading where they had the whole kind of power sets working in unison to build the communications network to talk to Gene. Um, huh. So yeah, that the, it reminds me of that, except, you know, this is a lot more uh, impressive of a task that they're achieving. But that, that seems to be kind of a thing, is that we're going to have some mutants kind of work together and use their powers in unison to accomplish something they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I do think this um, kind of shut down what I thought was going to be like the next step uh, for the run, considering we're kind of in the final stretch. Um, then bringing back the whole crew that died uh, on the previous issue immediately after, uh, it doesn't necessarily negate um, the impact of what happened on the previous one. Uh, but I, I I didn't see it uh, coming, even though I know that people coming back in comics, it's kind of a very comic-y thing to do. Um, yes. Yeah, this almost legitimizes that. Not that they were illegitimate before, but it was always a joke that, oh, it's the death of Wolverine. It's the third time he's died. He's going to come back eventually. But now it's a core part of their entire society now. So you have yes. a whole new avenue you can explore of like, okay, yeah, people die, but here they come back and now it's normal. So, but yeah, uh, and there's a lot of like icky 
ethical and uh, weird stuff uh, like this lends itself to some really weird scenarios uh, like there's talk later about uh, potentially bringing a mutant back uh, on a husk that's not their own uh, so that's really interesting uh, there's also it's really funny um, there are notes later where they do like a lot of disclaimers about how this isn't actually as weird as it sounds or as dangerous or as uh ethically or like icky yeah um it's it's going to be fun going forward i i do want to i do look forward to seeing how uh things are mixed up by this being introduced like a now dragged uh revival method that seems super reliable um is able to bring most mutants back because of um Xavier's uh, Cerebro trick. Uh, it's really interesting. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Something I also really love about this is it just opens up so many avenues for storytelling to go forward. Because like you said, you have the ethical question of what happens if you put a mutant in the wrong body. Uh, there's also a note that says if a mutant dies, it has to be confirmed that they're dead. Because uh -huh. you would have the question of, oh, you know, Wolverine has been missing for a month. Let's bring him back. And then the original Wolverine wasn't actually dead. Yeah, well, so, this is busy for a month. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have a lot of these stories that can easily just branch out from what's done here. And I really, really love how Hickman was able to do that. And I don't know. I just I really like this. Uh, I think it's really, really neat that he was able to do it. And kind of like what Sergio said. I wasn't expecting this at all. Uh, I kind of expected, oh, we're going to get Krakoa. They're going to make a society that's pretty new and pretty big. And maybe that's where Hickman ends his changes that he's going to do. And clearly it's no, he's going to keep going. Things are going to keep changing and being rewritten and redone for this new vision that he has going forward. Yeah, the entire identity of most uh, mutants is uploaded into a like code revision style repository uh, where uh, identities are versioned and uh, yeah that, that's fine that's definitely not going to be exploited later yeah no, it's, it's, it's okay a... um, <laughs> uh, that's also not a not a weird security concern you know yes um, data is always secure and private and nothing's ever happened with that no Absolutely. breaches no, no yeah. anything yeah, yeah well... everybody's security is it's always safe I'm sure it's safe here too yeah, we'll, we'll go into that one a bit more. I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned about the locations they have picked, but we'll see. Um, the the other part of this process I feel like we haven't really talked about is uh, Cerebro, though. I mean, we've, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but... So yeah, I Xavier has all these people, all these minds chronicled, and then he puts on Cerebro and uploads the mind into the body they just made. But I think it's implied that it does not need to be Xavier doing this. Um, I Yes. I mean, it feels like it's to a degree just a computer. Like if they had operators that were able to uh, handle it, they could just do it themselves. I, I think you do need yes. to be a telepath to some degree, but sure, yeah, that that's what I mean by like people who are able to do it. Yeah, um, they L like I I have kind of no doubt that Jean Grey could do this, for instance, or something. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that, and I think it's in a data page later on, either this issue or the next one, where it says something similar. But it was like they had to be trained to use Cerebro, but in the future they should be able to. Uh, also, something else I kind of want to um, touch on that I just think is interesting. Angel did not come back as Archangel 
he's he's just Angel again. Yes, I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, beforehand, he was kind of purple, and now he is just a normal white guy with blonde hair like he was before. Yeah, and we got regular wings and not metal ones. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, so I don't know if you can pick and choose what you want to come back with and how deep that goes. I mean, realistically, if they are creating a husk, I guess you could create the ideal and perfect version of yourself if you really wanted to. Well, yeah, the, the whole thing with Angel, too, is that what had happened to him was he was modified and kind of turned into that by Apocalypse. So I guess it makes sense if you're just taking his like a version of his body and just aging it up. It's not going to have that stuff on it like it's still gonna be it's gonna be angel yeah you gotta level up and then unlock the class that mm -hmm. you had before yeah yeah mm -hmm. it's kind of like neo game plus situation you gotta get the gains again yeah uh -huh. exactly which kind of brings the question of if wolverine has his adamantium stuff or not because that was given to him later he was never born with it yeah um that that is also true um so then, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm going to guess that no, but we'll see. Uh, Storm, meanwhile, uh, this this gets real religious real quick. Yes, and even rereading it now, I'm still not sure how I feel about this next couple of pages. I I like it. I think it's very interesting, but it does kind of get close to a very cult like dynamic, and I don't know if it was intentional or not. Um, so just a brief description, uh, Storm is there once these, uh, heroes of Krakoa are resurrected and she brings them out to a mutant crowd and basically says, look, they're back, uh, and we are mutants because this is what we've done. And they go through this almost ceremonial thing where the crowd asks her is, yes, they see that they're back, but are they the mutants that they know and love? And she goes through each of them individually, identifies that, yes, this is my brother, yes, this is my sister, and the cha and the crowd, you know, chants back that they're mutant and raises their fist and just gets really into the entire process as this keeps going and going. I, I wanted to see what's, really want to see what Storm had to say about Mystique. I, I think those two characters are not typically fans of each other. Hmm. But They are very naked. Yes, they are very naked. Yes, I, I think social norms on Krakoa are going to be challenged a whole lot. Um, because, yeah, no, every single one of these characters is just stark naked up on the stage and nobody cares. Yeah, I do like this being like the first genuinely unique cultural thing we have for Krakoa. Um, so I like it overall uh, because other than this, uh, there's that bad alphabet and um, not much else. Uh in fact, there's a lot of people uh, looking at this. And what do these people do, like, on their free time? Yeah. Right. Um, I'm, I'm hoping we explore that more. Right now, it just seems like a lot of frolicking. Um, but, yeah, I, I assume we will get to that. Yeah, because the important mutants, I should say, all have seemingly have stuff to do. But what about the others whose mutant power is like, oh, I have fur or I'm blue? You know, they're they're not going to go fight uh, sentinels off in space. Yeah, gotta give them something to do. Yeah. Like at least now they have uh, some sort of uh, revival worship. That's something. 
Yeah, something like that going on. Uh, and honestly, when I first read this and we got to this scene, uh, it was almost a strange, not a disconnect from what just happened of everybody coming back, but this almost had... I don't know if it was just a, a sinister tone to it or like this unnerving tone to where everybody just really got into this pseudo religious thing very quickly and everybody was really into it. Well, it's it's different, which I think is, you know, kind of the point of like, if you, if you want to say we're going to create our own culture, you got to do stuff that's different. And to be fair, th this seems pretty different. Yes, I would agree with that. I just almost feel like it's one step away of everybody's really, really excited and happy to be a mutant, but I feel like they're really close to being like, all right, let's hate everybody else. I, that might just be me, but there's something about the way this is written that is just very, I don't know, there's like an evil undertone to it. I, I Yeah, it, no, it, I, it I think that's, no, I think that's actually the point. Uh, like, I feel most of what's, uh, they've been posturing at is uh, creating a nation that's completely apart from humans mm -hmm. and uh, distancing themselves fr uh, from them as much as possible. So it makes sense to try to kind of other themselves as much as possible by like yelling that these are mutants. This is something only mutants can do. This is what define. this is one of the defining aspects of our culture is nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do think it makes sense. Uh, they're very hostile against humans, and this is something that hits at the very core of the human and mutant conflict. Like, uh, the humans have been exterminating mutants, and now we have something that can reverse it uh, outright, mm -hmm. uh, which which hits at the very heart of, of that conflict. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is seen as very, and this is drawn as being something very kind of nationalistic, um, building a cultural character. Um, and this is what happens, right? Uh, people get like convinced uh, and radicalized towards this new culture that they're embracing and trying to build. Yeah, and then, um, so, so after kind of this, we kind of get into uh, Xavier and Magneto kind of commenting on this a little bit. And you, you kind of, we immediately are already talking about the implications of this where Magneto says he wants it uh, Genosha to not be spoken of as a grave but as a crucible so yeah we're we're resurrecting some people uh, a mm -hmm. lot of people probably I like that this is basically a water cooler conversation between those two they're like off to the oh, side oh yeah just just kind of um, commenting yeah <laughs> just catching up yeah, yeah it's fun yeah when, when does the UN vote yeah just just hanging yeah, out just, um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> very very casual but I also think it's earned between the two of them because they they have been shown to be the ones to put this together and even uh, Magneto comments it on it. He's like, I should be weeping. This should be a joyous occasion. He's like, but there's so much work left to be done. There's so many people that are still dead that we need to bring back. So even though they are super happy to see this, I, I think that's earned that they get to have a moment to just be like, okay, what do we keep doing? Yeah. Oh. Um. There's, there's a guy in the crowd. Uh, it's on page, I want to say... Sit uh 17 right after their uh the water cooler conversation uh where they're like reaching out to the revived mutants and there's this guy that's like see-through you can see his skeleton and i just wanted to bring that up i'm i'm very happy you pointed him out because his name is blob and he will thankfully be coming back so you'll oh, no, no, no. all about him Blo blob Hell blob yeah. is someone else this is glob who 
Uh, oh, Glob. Yeah. They've got a close name. Yeah. Yeah, I... Glob, Glob's a good kid. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about him more. Uh, but yeah, um, also, someone just has a giant fist. I, yes, made of rock, I think? Yeah, I, I don't know who that is, but yeah, they are huge. But yeah, it's it's good stuff. Apparently the UN is voting tomorrow, and that's going to uh, decide if uh, Krakow was going to be an officially recognized nation, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's got to be what it is. Yeah. But this is the first of hopefully many victories for mutants as they have now conquered death. Uh, And as we keep going, we do get a breakdown data page of exactly how it works. Um, Just a lot of information here, more information on the five and what their powers are, Uh, the genetic base that Mr. Sinister is keeping together, which is where the DNA comes from, and also some of the talk we had earlier about what happens if you put a mutant mind in a husk that is not theirs, uh, and all these other questions. Yeah, uh-huh. um, so that that sinister library or of DNA that they had them built, that is pretty much what is being used for, for this. Uh, it, it kind of... This is interesting because I feel like that conversation leads you to believe it's going to be like the cloning thing that they were kind of focused on, on. But it's it's not that, it's for something entirely different instead. Um, yeah, like... um, these pages seem unnecessary to me. At least the first one, it felt like that was already explained in the actual pages. Um, so I thought this wasn't as needed. Right. I do like getting like the official names and powers for each of the five mutants, but we kind of had already gone over this. I do like the very last page of this, like info drop, uh, which is full of like parentheses that try to like smooth things out in terms of like how icky this whole process is. Yes. Um, there's this whole note about how the five uh, seem to be becoming some kind of like family unit or like have a lot of appreciation for each other. And then there's this, there's this note in parentheses that says, but not in a narcotized kind of way. <laughs> You know, just yeah, just, yeah. Just in case you were wondering, yeah, just in case you were wondering, they're not like drugging each other, or yeah, like, something kind of like it. They're yeah, trust us, it's fine. They're not having a trip here. <laughs> they're they're just having a good time, just resurrecting people. Don't don't ask too many questions. Um, but yeah, so apparently they're cool. Also, the the other thing I think is kind of funny is they're just like no, they they don't get tired. They're they're just having a good time. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So th- they kind of talk about how they at the pace they're going, it would take a very long time to resurrect everybody, like an unreasonable amount of time, but they seem to be speeding things up, even though there's still kind of hiccups and issues, so everybody's not going to be back immediately, but we are making progress on that. So, uh, this this kind of calls, or not calls back, but it explains why we have had characters walking around in these past couple of issues that um, should not be alive. Yes, yes. It It's just explained that, hey, we'll get to them eventually. So if you see this character and they were dead, don't worry about it. It just took them a while to bring them back. Yeah, this also kind of goes into the resurrection protocols a little bit and just kind of, uh, maybe it's a bad idea to bring a mutant back to life when he's not dead. Yes, and I do dead. like the... I do like the line that they want to make an organization of mutants to hunt down and investigate deaths. Um kind of a spoiler alert that leads into probably one of my favorite runs in Krakoa, uh, which is X-Factor. So we will get to that eventually. Um, oh, that's fun. But yeah, that one is really fun. Um, 
But yeah, no, just I agree with Sergio. A lot of this wasn't super necessary. Uh, some of the neat little tidbits are cool. Uh, I just I love that kind of stuff. The weird little facts and the way these things work, like the resurrection protocols. Uh, but yeah, not 100% needed. I think this could have been trimmed down. It is three pages. It probably could have been two. My favorite note is the one that explains how Proteus is like able to function in a society. Yes, that was neat. I didn't know he burned out his body. Um, his powers, it says here, he he basically changes reality, but in doing so burns out the body he's in. So they need to give him a new body like every week just so he doesn't die, which I think is kind of neat. Yeah. They seem to have that figured out, so good for him. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, I'm glad that worked out for him pretty good. Uh, so, but we hard cut to the United Nations after the vote, and it looks like it was successful. And Krakoa is now a recognized nation uh, among the nations. Uh, and as this is going on, and there's kind of a, a mixer, uh, we see Emma Frost and Xavier having a telepathic conversation with one another about how Emma might have pushed the Russian and French ambassadors just a little bit in their favor. Yeah, and... It initially comes out like he's almost lecturing her, and then he just kind of goes on and is like, yeah, yeah, thanks, by the way. So, just a fun little conversation there. And I also like how they're having this telepathic conversation as they are actually talking to other people. So they can just do two things at once, like it's easy. Uh, and then we do get a data page here uh, about mutant diplomacy. Uh, looks like most nations are okay with Krakoa and accept them, but there are a couple exceptions. Uh, many of these are real-world countries, and it lists the reason for why they don't agree. Uh, I think it is funny down here uh, that for Wakanda, in red, it says that they don't need mutant medication, which I think is really funny. Uh, because, yeah, no, of course they don't. Uh, Wakanda's probably way farther ahead than even Krakoa is. Yeah, and then you also have all these other African countries that are uh, just being protected by Wakanda, so they don't really need it either. Um, yeah, this is a interesting kind of mix here of real world countries and uh, fake Marvel countries. Um, yeah, Marty like, Marty Poor is like pirate land. Latveria's Doom's country. Yeah, and I believe Terra Verde is also fake Marvel country. Yes, yeah, Sa America. Sa Santa Mar Santa Marco is as well. I don't think all of these African countries are real either. Um, Kenya definitely is, but... Yeah, but the rest, uh, probably not. Uh, oh. So that's kind of neat. Nothing else goes with it other than, hey, these are the countries that don't agree. Yeah, it also says this isn't a complete list, um, so I expect they want to uh, add more to this at some point. Mm -hmm. Just, again, something Hickman has been doing, which is opening up the avenue for storytelling. It's like, hey, here's a tease. If you want to do something with it, go for it. Uh, and then coming off of this United Nations vote, uh, a couple days later on Krakoa, uh, we have... Uh, before we, oh, before yeah. we move on, I, I just wanted to say, um, I, I kind of have been thinking about, again, I, I talk a lot about like building a new, fully new culture and a fully new society. And it, to be fair to Hickman, it is hard to imagine like a society outside of uh, our capitalistic conventions. I do think uh, it's interesting that he's come up with a society that kind of has a chokehold on other countries through their own 
uh, capitalistic interface because they have like magical drugs uh, that they can just produce on their own and uh, are very hard to copy. Uh, but within its borders, uh, there seems to be no like economical activity to speak of. Uh, so I think it's funny that they are interfacing with capitalism, but only to the extent that it allows them to like hold other countries um, like this. Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting. And to be fair, it's really hard to imagine a society. Uh, I do think they could be doing a better job of just having them stand around until there's a big announcement for them to like fawn over. Uh, the habitants of Krakoa, that is. Mm. Um, but I'm, I trust that they will eventually develop something more and that it maybe will not look like just another country. Um, and I do remember one of the timelines that we saw back when we were uh, looking at previous uh, lives of Moira. There was this, like, more... It was still a kind of mutant stronghold, but there were distinctly, like edifices and streets and uh it was kind of like a huge version of the mutant school mm -hmm. and that and i was wondering then why are we not looking at krakua like something like that but it does seem like to be a very purposeful decision to depict krakua something that's definitely other from um human culture or civilization as we know it um so there seems to be an intent of like moving on from that sort of interfacing uh, where we are definitely not like interfacing with currency, we're definitely not uh, creating institutions in the way that they exist in other countries or in the in our conception of developed countries, and that is interesting. Uh, so I do appreciate that they're distancing themselves this way. Uh, this is not, uh, even though I am already disappointed by the <laughs> alphabet thing. Um, there, there's enough space here to imagine something new and something other. And I'm excited to see in what way that develops um, that is distinct from what we saw in that other timeline with like the hyper-technological, uh, very silvery, very uh, like shiny white uh, city. Or, yeah, yeah or like, like a sci-fi perfect future city. Yeah, it's yes. what it looked like. Future land, but mutants. And yeah. it, it's like, it's just X-Man land, but blown up real big. And it, Krakoa seems very distinctly not that. And I, I agree. I think that's a pretty interesting distinction from what you would imagine it. And it, it does kind of feel like they're engaging on capitalism with, in just kind of a level of, we need to interface with this to get these other countries on board, but we don't actually have to do that internally. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it'd be interesting to see where that ends up going. I'm yeah, I'm, it, I'm hoping more happens of that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate what you said, Sergio, because I agree. Uh, I do think it's interesting that they know how to play the game when it comes to international politics, at the very least, and the capitalistic ten tendencies that they have. But yeah, internally, we haven't seen any of that. We don't see any money. We don't see any, uh, you know... We don't even have streets yet. Yes, we don't even have streets at <laughs> yeah. this point. <laughs> it, it's pretty early, yeah. Um, but I, I'm also curious to see how some of the mutants take this, because beforehand, uh, Xavier and his mutants were very specific with their ideology that mutants and humans need to coexist. Therefore, mutants should show that they are good 
and that they want to work together. That has always been Xavier's way of doing it. And Magneto had the ideology of, no, we need to prove to them that we are strong enough and therefore we will take the respect that we deserve. So you have this very interesting mix of the two of them in a way, but Xavier's point of view almost seems to be missing so far because the capitalistic, we're going to sell everybody else drugs isn't exactly a kind way of doing it. It's just a, oh, we'll work with you kind of a way. So I'm curious to see if anybody is going to question this new status quo or if they're even going to bring it up. Uh, because so far, this is very pro-mutant. This is what we're going to do for us. And here's just a little bit for the rest of you guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested of seeing like the society at the ground level. Uh, we've seen very like, and to be fair, the scope of the the run so far has been on the big players mm -hmm. setting things up. Uh, it's all very exciting. I want to see like the day to day of a mutant, like as you said, that doesn't have a main character level play, uh, power, mm -hmm. um, kind of live their lives on Krakua. And I feel like this reminds me of a sci-fi series that I've been reading. Uh, and it wasn't until the third book that they kind of start exploring uh, what the actual inhabitants of the society, the main characters have built, mm -hmm. uh, live like. And um, I was talking to someone else uh, about this book. And what they said was, I had no clue that <laughs> there was a society existing or like there were actual cities on this setting beyond like the main five characters we've been uh, following along for the past two books. Uh, so it's, I feel like this is suffering from the same thing. Um, I, I would like to see a round that explores uh, what actual Krakoan society, even in these early days, uh, is like. Like, do they just wait around? Uh, do we have stragglers not really wanting to move in? Um, do we have people questioning uh, how much of a change there really needs to be in order to create a new society? Whether it is really needed to create a new society or just to have some uh, strong, really strong defense systems. Um, you know, because if you take someone who's been living all of their life uh, in human society and put them on an island... Uh, there's got to be some interesting uh, reactions there and interactions. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see that. I really do hope uh, we get at least some glimpses of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, just Jonathan Hickman as a writer, um, I think usually is stronger on the uh, bigger picture and less details oriented like that. Um, so once we finish this run and we start going into runs that aren't uh, just written by him, I'm interested to see how, those start playing because i feel like a lot of those are a lot more detail oriented like just yes and uh something i've been thinking about as we're wrapping up with hickman's uh initial table setting here is i don't think this is uniquely comics but it is very specific to it where you can have something like this, where Hickman is creating the sandbox in which everybody can play. He's setting the rules, he's giving a little bit of structure here and there, and then once that is done, it's opened up to different pairs of writers and artists to come in and say, okay, 
we think this portion over here is really interesting and really cool. We're going to go explore it and see what that does. And then you have another uh, writer and artist pair who's going off in a totally different direction with what's been set up and is like, no, we're going to go look over here. And then you have another one and another one. And that's something you really don't get a lot with single creator uh, fiction or anything else. Um, sometimes they will dive into, you know, what is the society doing? What is the little guy doing, you know? But with comics, I've found that you do get a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different takes for good or for worse. Uh, but it's something that we have that to look forward to. That, yeah, we are going to see a lot of different takes and a lot of different directions once everybody's allowed to just run out the gate and go. Yeah, yeah, this is like big franchises, right? Uh, yes. This is like Star Wars. Um, like we just got Andor. Mm -hmm. and that's real different from like the usual style of Star Wars storytelling. So I, I do really want to see as wide a um, kind of scope as possible coming from all these creators we're going to be reading from. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we will. I think we will. Um, uh, so before I head back into where we are, because we're almost done with this issue, uh, was there anything else you two wanted to touch on? Uh, no. No, no, let's move on. Yep. Okay. Uh, so shortly after the United Nations vote is done, uh, we're back on Krakoa, where Wolverine, Xavier, and Magneto are waiting by some Krakoan gates as some more arrivals are coming. And we see that these arrivals are traditionally mutant villains. Uh, you have Apocalypse, Mr. Sinister, uh, and various others that are walking through the gates and are now being allowed on Krakoa. Yeah, it's like you got Exodus here, Mesmero, Mentello, Sebastian Shaw, uh, Gorgon, Celine. Uh, these, these are not usually friendly people. Kalisto's cool. I, I don't know what she's doing in this group, but... Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Traditionally, these are very bad people. Yeah, they, these are usually people cast in the villain role. So, and interestingly enough, uh, Wolverine is not sure these people should be here either. Uh, but Xavier is actually against him and says, "No, if we're gonna start something new, everybody should be allowed a second chance, even these people." Um, Apocalypse immediately is uh, familiar with Krakoa. Uh, we kind of. Touched on it a little bit in a couple issues ago, but yeah, he's he's got some origins here. Yes, and trying to outbrandize Magneto by saying he was here before uh, there was any such thing as mutants. Um, but he, Apocalypse, apparently being the self-appointed spokesperson of the villain group, uh, is brought here and Magneto asks him if he will accept the terms of living together as one people under one nation. And Apocalypse, in a weird turn, uh, is asked by Wolverine if this is fine. And Apocalypse goes, well, of course it's going to be fine. I did all of this war and genocide that I did to make sure our people were strong. And now look what you did. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. And he could not be more proud of all of them. Yep. And yeah, this this is what you were saying about building like that nationalistic instinct uh, some pages ago, and uh, Apocalypse is this and approves. And I feel like if the guy who wages war just to make you stronger is really proud of you, that's probably not a good thing. Yeah, 
Um, that, that might be a little bit problematic. Yeah, it's, it's Apocalypse, who, the big villain, who apparently this just, uh, this works with his ideology. He's just, he's cool with this. Uh, submits to the laws of the land. He's, he's Krakoa now. Mm-hmm. And we get a final huge shot of Apocalypse and Xavier shaking hands as he is now welcomed to his new home. Yes, uh, I love this page, just the sunlight beaming down on just Apocalypse looking like a giant. Mm -hmm. He is so mm -hmm. large. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that's House of X. We, we, got some, uh, we got some fun mutants now. Yep, we have some villains who are now friends. Uh, we have some data uh, with Krokoa is now a nation. And we also have the big reveal that mutants are no longer susceptible to death, or at least permanently. Yeah. Um, I forget. Do we know where Moira is? Uh, no. no. We have not seen her okay. in, I guess, this timeline, this time frame. We we don't know where she is. Yeah, we know this is the one um, that she went into after retrieving that information uh, from the far future. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. that's correct. This but, is... but we haven't actually seen her in this uh, timeline. No. So we don't know how she's playing this or even if she's playing this. I would assume she is because she's been in all of these issues, just not directly. Uh, but yeah, no, we have no clue where she is right now. All right. All right. Yeah, good Good issue. Yeah, uh, it's pretty, pretty, heavy, pretty heavy drops here. Um, you want to go on to Powers of X? Sure. Uh, so, with Powers of X number five for the children, uh, it is also written by Hickman, released in September of 2019. Uh, we're back here with the X-Men Year One in Dallas, Texas, in some very nice either underwater or aquarium-like place uh, as Xavier and Forge uh, discuss what needs to be done to upgrade Cerebro in order to allow it to make copies of every mutant on the planet. I uh I know this one actually. Uh yeah, uh, Forge has a little tower here where the government just kind of lets him build whatever whatever he wants. So this is just some really high tech uh holographic nonsense. Oh no, strings attached. I'm sure. Yeah, no. Uh, he he might have um accidentally invented the thing that depowered Storm for like years in the comics. Um, that's that sucks. Yeah. So, but we do get the impression from these pages that Forge is a very, very good inventor and is very, very good at what he does. So when Xavier comes to him with the impossible task of, I need you to make not only a repository for all of this information, I need you to make backups for all of them, uh, redundancies in place, and the power source. Can you do this? And he says, uh, yeah, I think I could. Yes, yeah, so this is just a big Git repository. Yes. Um, it, it, it's definitely interesting. I do think it kind of... Um, it, it, it kind of shows the progress from... Because Cerebro has traditionally been something like, oh, you just use this to catalog mutants and none of this storing someone's mind thing. So this kind of shows where that idea kind of came from. Uh, but yeah, th there is some absolute techno jargon in here. I really like yes. it. I also really love it. And yeah, it's full of techno jargon about using space power sources and crystals to store data and all sorts of nonsense. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, you want me to construct an entirely new system or integrate it into an existing one? Like, it's, it's yeah, it is very much a Git thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is uh, not not too much to it. Uh, Forge kind of buries Beast a little bit. That's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of funny. But it's just more background information about how these systems were built. So no- nothing new, especially since we knew this from the last issue. Uh, we also do get a data page here about Cerebro uh, and the different builds, uh, as well as uh, specifically uh, the locations of the five backup Cerebro units and all of their data. Yeah, are, are these all on Krakoa? That that seems like a mistake. Um... Yeah, I, I think these are all on Krakoa, which I agree is really bad. Um, because, yeah, we have the House of X, Island M... The, the summer house might be on the moon, so that one might be good. But yeah, the, the rest of this stuff, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I have data saved on AWS that's uh, better uh, spread out than this. Yeah. 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 Although there is also the question of what place could be safer than an island full of super powered individuals, but it also does make it a target. So, eh, give and take. Uh, I think Moira's No Place is the most recent mention of Moira we have. Uh, don't really know what that is. Um, uh, it, it was described a couple of issues back on a data page that Krakoa can make all of these systems and everything, and one of the secret systems that it made was the No Place, which is a place that even Krakoa does not know exists. So there's been some groundwork laid for this, but I do believe it's the first instance that Moira's name has been attached to it. Um... We also kind of go into how Charles Xavier does his backups. Uh, the, the other interesting thing is we get some of those little parentheses notes again. And we touch upon the husk or the mismatching of the, mute, the mutant mind with the husk thing again. And they're like, yeah, uh, pr- pretty sure that would be fatal. Uh, we, we think that's going to kill someone. Um, also, apparently Charles Xavier has backed himself up with a legacy version twice. Like an, an yes. older version of his mind. Uh, that's that's a little interesting. I don't know what he was trying to forget. I guess. I I am also curious with that because it is odd. Um, it, it's described here that basically, uh, once a week, Xavier copies the latest version of every mutant mind into the cradles. So there is kind of a week gap where if you died, maybe you could be missing a week. Um, but. Yeah, apparently Xavier has done that twice, where he has brought back an older version of himself. I don't know why. I think it's kind of weird and almost suspicious, but we have nothing else other than he did it. Yeah, uh, this reminds me of him asking uh, Sinister last uh, issue of Powers of X to like, uh, forget about their meeting. So I guess there's some like 5D chess happening here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Want to go into uh, the... We're, we're going back to the X1 timeline. I guess the- yeah I just want to say it's very funny to think about like IT guy Charles Xavier yeah just mm-hmm. just doing backups every week yeah mm-hmm. just just gotta get your make sure everything got the redundancies set up don't want to lose the data yeah, yeah it's funny yeah you don't want to uh, have issues in the next audit yeah gotta make sure it's all there uh-huh. mm-hmm. all your all your data looks good you know saved in the right place Uh, So as we continue, uh, we go back to year 10, uh, and we meet with Emma Frost uh, meeting with Magneto and Xavier as they uh, basically try to do a sales pitch to her. I I just, 
I, I want to point out this in the lore. Um, I, I don't know. It's just a very Emma type place to be. I think it's funny. Yeah, she, hmm. she's she's a very high class lady. Uh, and at the start, she also tells every single visitor there to leave telepathically, and they do. Uh, but they do have this conversation where she is not on board. She accuses both of them of being either incredibly heroic or terrifyingly reckless. Uh, and she kind of leans towards the latter once they explain that they want to create a nation only for mutants on an island, uh, which she again basically calls out Magneto that this has happened before and it ended really bad, uh, which is Genosha, which is where 14 million mutants died. So I don't blame her being hesitant and calling them crazy for trying to do this. Yeah, and uh, Magneto kind of goes into it a little bit and how he seems to convince her is, uh, yeah, the population's about to uh, explode. Um, so yeah, I, I guess they're going pretty heavy on this resurrection thing. Yeah, and also we got a bit of information that just the rate of mutant births is increasing just naturally. That, that seems to be a thing. But yeah, you put that on top of resurrections, you're going to have a lot of mutants really soon. So, But we also get a little bit of a hint into her character. Uh, as Xavier says that this is the day that you've been waiting for, and this is a way to right all of the things that went wrong. And that is the two sentences that gets her to at least see what they're talking about. And we see them later as Emma is brought to Krakoa, and she tells herself that she'll try this again, one more time, at least for the children. And she agrees to join with them and work with them to create Krakoa. So pr pretty much what they're bringing Emma in for is they want her to be the face of the Hellfire Corporation, to which has international shipping ties, and they want her to be the one that's going to ship the drugs around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, kind of tying back into that capitalistic uh, power playing that they're doing that Sergio talked about is here is a piece of that, and this is the person that's going to be in charge of it. Yeah, and they... Yeah, she... Sorry, go on, Sergio. Um, yeah, she was very, she seems very suitable to this role. Um, she seems to be very enamored with, like, human society. Um, she seems like she interfaces well with, um, you know, when we saw her at court, uh, when we saw her at the UN, she's right at home. Uh, that's the impression I get. Mm -hmm. So this, this feels like a very, uh, good role for her to play, like, not be detached, as detached as every other mutant will be. From the rest of humanity, uh, she can keep like playing with them. Uh, what does she do? Uh, what is her day to day before they come to her and offer her this uh, new position? I, do any of you know? I believe she has always been a part of the Hellfire Company. Uh, it's 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 changed between the Hellfire Corporation, uh, the Hellfire Group, uh, but she's always been kind of a business person and a higher class one at that. She so that's always been her thing, I think. Yeah, that's that's the impression I get, and it does make sense that then she would not be as enthralled with the idea of like moving off to a nice land where there's very little to do. Mm -hmm. She um just just for a little bit more background, uh yeah, she was originally introduced as a villain in the Hellfire Club and had a different school that was kind of like the evil version of Xavier's school. Uh, even if they sometimes found themselves working together, for the most part, they had kind of a rivalry going on. Um, she has been in the X-Men a few times, and specifically, I think she had been there when all the Genosha stuff was happening. I'm, I'm not sure about that one, but I'm 
usually when they have some crazy X-Men stuff going on, she's going to be present for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she's one of those bigger players, usually. So Yeah, she, she has a very commanding presence. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we also get uh, the first introduction of the government of Krakoa. Uh, we learn that it's called the Quiet Council, and that uh, there's going to be 12 seats on there. Uh, I'll pull, go into detail of that in just a bit. Pull, pull um, it back a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I do like this just because I think it kind of uh, enforces kind of Sergio's point here about the capitalistic, how they're kind of interfacing with that. But Xavier has this whole thing about how because of how the flowers are grown, they can't be technically considered a monopoly. So we don't got to worry about all that. And then we just get this negotiating with Emma where she has a 50-year exclusive contractor to be the sole distributor of this flower. It's it's not that there's not a monopoly. It's that there since, uh, since no one can reproduce the flowers, basically, then there's no argument against them having a monopoly. But they're having a monopoly. Yeah, like like it absolutely is a monopoly. It's just... Well, you can't make this, so like, what it's what are you going yeah, to do he's, about it? It's he- he's he's not arguing. He's not arguing against it being a monopoly. It's absolutely a monopoly. Uh, the thing is, uh, it's a monopoly for a reason. Right. Uh, it's been engineered as one, um, so no one can really say anything about it. Um, you know, it, what they're basically saying is, if you could reproduce the flowers, then this wouldn't be a monopoly, but you can't. So it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is they're offering her two seats on this council. Um, one of them they want for Sebastian Shaw, who was one of the people we saw going through the gates to be the black market one. He's he's going to be the person dealing drugs to countries like Mardi Gras or Latveria or just, you know, countries that aren't officially recognizing Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Which I think is also an interesting way to play this game that they're playing. Uh, because you do have Emma as the legitimate face of this, and then you they also want Sebastian Shaw to come in and still give out the drugs where he can on the black market to at least get them out there and circulating and probably at least try to entice these governments to accept them. Yeah, and, and the other thing I think is interesting is it does not seem to just be drugs. It's get the drugs in, get the mutants out. So they want to get these drugs into this country and if there's mutants there that aren't able to leave because you know the the country doesn't recognize Krakoa they can do that too so uh yeah a little bit more uh on the not legal side of the coin yeah but I do find it interesting that they are covering so many options um because with maybe some other fiction, I wouldn't expect it to go into trade agreements and here's the black market deals and all that sort of stuff. So I do find it kind of fun that they're doing it here. We'll see where it goes, but I'm enjoying it. Oh, uh, also Emma asked for asked for a third seat on the council, which we, we don't know what that's for yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we do get a breakdown of the Quiet Council of Krakoa. Uh, it's basically a 12-person ruling council that decides how external conflicts and internal laws of the island are going to be handled. Uh, we have different groups here. We have autumn, winter, spring, summer, and then the Krakoan duo of Cypher and Krakoa. Uh, we... it's, it's very funny that we get 14 names for this 12-person uh, council. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do think that's silly also. <laughs> yeah, just, just have Cypher and Krakoa there just to have a say, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what I would imagine is while the rest of the seats are kind of fluid, uh, Cypher and Krakow are just kind of like permanent seats. 
Yeah, I I would yep. assume that too, especially since Krokoa, they're living on it, and Cypher's the only one that can actually talk to him. So, makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but but there's also a question of whether this one will be, uh, you know, this will be the established mode of uh, governance in the island, or if it's going to change at some point. Yeah, Emma kind of questions this. She's just, she's asked if this is just a temporary thing for the startup, and they say, well, maybe not. So mm -hmm. I, I guess we'll see. Um, so yeah, r right now we got Professor X Magneto in the autumn seat and Sebastian and Emma on the spring side of things and all these other are unknown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just a fun little note uh, is uh, Sebastian Shaw is called the Black King and Emma Frost is titled as the White Queen here. I believe that's just a Hellfire Club thing that has always happened. Oh, yeah. Maybe wrong there. No, yeah, that's, that's a Hellfire thing. Yeah. Okay. So that's fun. It, it's I would assume that the third person that's going to be there is also going to get a fun title, uh, but we don't currently know who that is. Yeah. And moving on, uh, we are still here in year 10, and we see Xavier reaching out to all mutants of the Earth and giving them an invitation to come to Krakoa, uh, that this is a new place for them. Everybody is welcome, even the villains, which is primarily the focus of these messages, uh, but that they are welcome on this new home. Um, yeah, uh, we we it's it's pretty much just what we saw on House of X. I feel like the big part of this is leading into the next scene, which is uh, uh, yeah, they have a they have a talk with Namor. Yeah, and it goes about as well as you would expect. Um, Xavier actually goes to him. Oh, not in person. For some reason, I thought it was in person. Uh, but he goes to Namor and asks him if he would like to join, uh, because it's often forgotten a little bit, but Namor is a mutant. Uh, I believe he's a mutant Atlantean, is specifically him, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's, uh, um, yeah he, he is a mutant. He is technically the first character that's a mutant ever introduced in a comic, but or, well, a Marvel comic, but I don't believe it was established as part of his identity until after the fact. Um, mm -hmm. he has messed around with the X-Men before, but I think it's when he wasn't ruling a kingdom. Yeah. And we see here, he does not care for them. Uh, he praises Xavier on finally coming to the realization that humanity hates them and that mutants are in fact superior, but tells him that he will never join the island because he knows Xavier doesn't actually mean it. Yeah, he also has a very sick throne. Yes, yes. Uh, more more octopus and tentacles and everything. I love these sharks swimming around too. It's just good stuff. Yeah, I I will yeah. admit I'm a little biased when it comes to Namor, uh, because of Hickman's other run with um. Uh, Tim, you recommended it to me. It was the the uh, yeah new yeah new Avengers. Yes, uh, where Namor is uh, in that a whole lot, and he's really good. He plays off really well with Black Panther. Uh, so seeing him here was really fun because it's the same kind of arrogant, cocky asshole that he was there. And it's just, it's great. I love the way Hickman writes him. Yeah, it's it's good. I like that scene a lot. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go into the year 1000. We, we... Oh, oh, actually, before we move on, uh, it's time for our Marvel Snap Corner. Ooh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because there's a card for Namor. Oh, yep, yeah, I, I was about to say. Yep, and what he does is uh, he starts with five power, but if he is like the only character uh, placed in the location where he's at, he gets another five power. So he likes to be alone, yes. maybe. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is Namor to a T. 
he works best with himself because he believes he is the only one capable of doing it. So, uh-huh. and Sergio, I'll have you know, I started playing Marvel Snap because of you, so it's your fault. Uh, but it is actually really fun. I'm surprised. It's fun. It's like very low stakes. Um, games don't go for too long, so you can't really be mad when you lose, which happens a lot, uh, yeah. especially in the later levels. Yeah, and I kind of like how it's a mix of actual story NPCs and then you fight other players and it doesn't seem to be tied to microtransactions at all other than cosmetics which is really cool um, yeah there's definitely some microtransactions like there's still some predatory stuff in there but it's easy relatively easy to ignore um I say this knowing that I'm not really like I don't have the predisposition to like be a victim to like predatory schemes in games mm-hmm. so my perspective not really as as valuable. Uh, but I do think they make a good job about keeping their transaction stuff uh, on the realm of aesthetics and uh, just look cool-looking cards, which it's like a predatory technique on its own, but it's not as bad as like uh, other card games where you have to get packs and uh, you get duplicates and uh, those duplicates get turned into some worthless currency that you need like a millionth of uh, to make up for your losses Mm -hmm. so yeah i I think that it's real neat Mm -hmm. um i do have to say that in the later levels uh once your collection's been developed enough um you instead of getting like guaranteed card drops you get drops that may have a card in them Mm -hmm. and you can get like like five drops in a row where it's only just currency or some other currency instead of what you actually want with these wishes cards um so yeah it's not it's not perfect but it's closer to what i would like uh than a hearthstone or or something like that yeah yeah because my only comparison uh, sorry go on i was just gonna say my only comparison is hearthstone which you buy the good cards and here you can't actually directly do that which i really like uh yeah but yeah, it's it's got its negatives, but overall, I'm very much enjoying it. Yeah, and they did introduce in this latest update um, a new feature where there's a single card that you can buy from the shop, and it cycles every eight hours or so. Um, so if you see one that you like, you can uh, buy it outright instead of hoping you just get it from one of your like level ups. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have enough of the currency you need to buy it, you can just lock it. Uh, so whenever you get the currency, you can just buy it um, without like having to wait for it to appear again, which is nice. Oh, that I, is I nice. do think that's a good that's a good feature. Yeah, your uh, like your your duplicate um, thing just kind of gave me horrible Yu Gi Oh flashbacks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, please sponsor us, Marvel Snap. Um, yes, uh, we're 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 gonna keep talking about you, even if you don't. But yeah, that would be nice. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. So, year Marvel year Snap Corner is done. Uh, let's move on to the year one thousand, and we're gonna go back to our favorite thing, which is weird future techno babble about space societies. Uh, as we come back with the phalanx. And they finally have an answer uh, for these uh, post-humans, and they accept. Unfortunately for them, uh, accepting the deal means that all of the post-humans will need to be consumed and turned into fuel. So, good news is, their culture and society and memories will live on forever within the phalanx. Bad news is, is they're all gonna die. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, um... There, there's some interesting stuff here. The, the Titan theory. Um, 
at the heart of every black hole in the universe there is actually a supermassive machine brain each one containing collective intelligence of a society too advanced so advanced that it collapsed in on itself is the actual quote here um i love how this is just kind of tacked on after these last two issues mm-hmm. yeah it's just oh by the way like oh you thought we were done society yep <laughs> yeah. yeah we're not done we're gonna go bigger so yeah, uh, and- I have no idea what's going on here, dude. Yeah, like, <laughs> just, so yeah. I I think what they're getting at is, and they're kind of explaining why, um, is they're they talked about the failings, and these were kind of like the big dogs, like these were the people they're trying to court, and they're going to protect them, but uh, there is stuff beyond these people and it's like you have these crazy machines that have collapsed into black holes, and some of them interconnect with each other. Uh, and these are threats, so this society that's absorbing them is just needs to kill them all and absorb them for energy so they can not be killed by these super advanced societies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's servant I, societies all the way down. I need this to tie into actual story um, for me to care. <laughs> this is yeah. I, need, I need it to happen real soon yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing uh, because I have no idea how this is going to resolve <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing that happens next issue but yeah we, we kind of go into it a little bit we got yeah uh, titans uh, strongholds uh, dominions which are like really big titans but yeah it's it's a lot um, we, we, we took the already kind of crazy concept of like technarchs and phalanxes and just put a bunch of shit on top of it um yeah, I, I'm sorry that happened, or I'm. I'm <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's but a good I'm, way. I'm to, not reading all that. <laughs> that is a good way to describe that. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm in a similar position of once this is tied into everything, I'll be interested because so far it's like, all right, thumbs up. That's pretty cool. I think. Eh, that's about it. Good, good for you. Yeah, the the pictures are still nice. Yeah. Oh yes. I, I especially like the last one of uh, Nimrod explaining this theory and then coming to the conclusion that, oh yeah, by the way, everything is going to die. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to eat this whole planet. Um, I feel like we knew this, given what we knew about the phalanxes. Yeah, I, I feel like it was kind of a given that this was what was going to happen. They were going to just kind of eat yeah. the whole world and move on. Um, so it's Yeah, this feels to me like all according to plan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like these post humans were trying to get on like the good side of them and just get them as a protector, but the end game was always going to be that they were going to be eaten. So it it does seem weird because it was hinted at early. So we'll see where it comes in at the big picture. Um I'm not sure entirely where it's going to go cuz like Tim was saying earlier on Hickman is known for his very very big pictures especially for the long term. So he doesn't do things without a reason. So I'm assuming that this entire future timeline, we're going to have something from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Um, yeah. And so I, I guess that's the two issues. Yeah. I'm going to give it to House Effects uh, for this one. Oh, yeah. uh, I love how it swings for defenses. Um, I really came into these issues expecting uh, to be... I mean, we are in the last stretch, uh, but I wasn't really expecting some earth-chattering new uh, plot revelations to occur. And they sure did. Mm-hmm. Yep, and surprise, here it is. So, And you're right, we do have... I believe it's two more. Let me double check. 
No, yep, it's it's two more. It's we are uh two weeks from now we will be finishing this up with House of X number six and Powers of X number six. And uh after that we will be going into kind of the larger world. Yes. Do we know what we're gonna be reading afterwards? Uh, yes. yes. Um we do. Our our first six runs or well, the, there will be six that initially launch out uh after House of X and Powers of X. Um, and those will be uh, X-Men, uh, Marauders, uh, New Mutants, X-Force, um, Excalibur, and Fallen Angels. That's a lot more names that I was expecting. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, it will be trimmed down at some point, and then we will also get new faces, but that is how we're going to be starting out. Uh, I am making a schedule that I'll be putting out on social media, but it looks like we're going to start with X-Men and X-Force, number one, uh, once we're done with House and Powers of X. I, so I, that should be episode seven. I, be I believe it's X-Men and Marauders are the first two, actually. I think X-Force is after that. It, it's confusing. It depends on where you look. Uh, everybody has a different answer. The official Marvel website has a different answer than the actual uh, hardcover collections. So it's up for debate, but we will have the actual list out soon. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to uh, dipping into that whole thing. Uh, yeah, so am I. I'm excited to get out of... Well, I'm not excited to, you know, leave this beautiful world that Hickman is creating. And he will be staying on. He is writing uh, the official X-Men line that we're going to be reading. Uh, but hmm. I just love the way he writes all of these characters and this world. I really love the art that has been done here. So I'm a little sad to leave some of that behind. But I am really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, the, the other... There, there's going to be six runs in total. Um, New Mutants kind of written by Hickman a little bit, but for the most part, it's going to be a bunch of different runs with new writers. Mm. So, yeah, it's going to be fun uh, expanding the world a little bit. All right. Well, if you liked this podcast, it would be great if you could leave us on a review on your favorite podcasting service, uh, just so more people know about the X-Men and can come and hang out with us. Uh, if you are looking for us on social media, you can find us on Twitter under Study of X, uh, as well as Tumblr. Uh, we do have an email as well if you would like to email questions or comments or anything. Uh, you can email us at studyofx at gmail.com. Uh, and if you are looking for myself, uh, you can find me at uh, Sonics on Twitter. It's S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S. -E -E uh, and Sergio, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, people can find me on Twitter at Fireblend, F-I-R-E-B-L-E-N-D. And um, I don't think they allow husks on Twitter uh, these days, so you can not find them there. Yeah, um, I, I have a mismatched mind husk, so they, they I was suspended permanently, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is unfortunate, but he will be revived shortly. Uh, he's just somewhere in the queue. We don't know what number he has yet. Preferably really low in the queue uh, but yeah um, I, I believe that's it I believe that's it I think I did all the podcasting stuff you do at the end of these all I'm right. not sure if anything it'll be there next time and with that later mutants later mutants bye bye